0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend, and thanks for letting us Start off the week with you. We always appreciate it. And coming up today, we're going to check weather with John Baranek with DTN. A lot of rain moved across the country yesterday. We'll see how much and how widespread. We're going to talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. It's a crop report week. Very interesting report. will be coming out later this week. And we're going to talk about the proposed tax changes, estate planning, things like that with Chad Hansen with Corporate Farmer, Inc., from Mason City, Iowa. That's coming up a little bit later on. But we're always glad to start things off with Sarah Wyant, Editor and President of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us.
2: And Good morning, Mike. Always a pleasure to be with you.
0: We continue to watch this infrastructure bill. It looks like the Senate is getting close to wrapping it up, uh, but there'll be big questions when it goes to the House, including this uh, call to link it to a reconciliation bill It seems not even all Democrats are on board with that.
2: That's true, Mike. As you probably saw over the weekend, there were some procedural hurdles that were cleared. And it looks like this $1 trillion infrastructure package that is focused on things like roads and bridges and broadband and ports and inland waterways. But that one seems to be ready to move through the Senate. The difficulty is, of course, trying to figure out what the path forward is from there, because Speaker Pelosi has said she's going to hold out until that $3.5 trillion reconciliation package is cleared from the Senate as well. Now, we do have a report up on our website, AgriPulse.com, explaining that even some moderate Democrats in the House are objecting to that process, saying, let's go ahead and move the clean infrastructure bill that's going to come out of the Senate and get that passed in both houses and then move on to what can be potentially the next infrastructure package on a lot of other things. So, whether that's going to be an effective uh, strategy for those more moderate Democrats, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but in the meantime, of course, the Senate Democrats are wasting no time to roll out the broad outlines of this next reconciliation package. We just got it this morning, Mike, and our team is going to have a story up uh, in the next hour or so. But uh, it's it's very very vague. Uh, for example, it gives instructions to the Senate Ag Committee to uh, provide 135 billion in new funding, but it doesn't really say what for. It it has um, bullet points saying we're going to have ag conservation drought and forestry reduce carbon and prevent wildfires more money for rural development for clean energy uh climate research civilian climate corps child nutrition and debt relief but again no specifics yet so our team is digging into that right now
0: all right so yeah lots of questions about the reconciliation bill what about this infrastructure package as you said looks like it's going to go through the senate um obviously there's a lot in there that ag groups have been pushing for for some time when it comes to rural infrastructure. Are there concerns though that in this 2700 page bill there are some things in there that uh, they're not going to like so much?
2: Well the devil's always in the details when you have these massive packages like this and so I think everybody's going to be going through this with a fine-tooth comb and I'm sure there'll be some things that are of concern but you did see some major ad groups including uh you know farm bureau come out in support and so you've got i think uh, a lot of folks in rural america saying we do need more money for broadband we do need more for roads and bridges now the reconciliation package is going to follow up from this we'll also have some tax provisions and i think that's where the major concerns are whether or not there's a a elimination of stepped-up basis or this transfer tax which colin peterson wrote about on our website last week in an opinion piece uh you know there's a lot of concerns about the pay-fors and i think that's where people are really going to be taking a close look
0: meanwhile the ag department announced last week that uh To promote transparency and competitive markets, they're going to be releasing two new USDA market news reports to provide additional insight into cattle trades. What can you tell us about those uh, new reports?
2: Yeah, the first one's supposed to come out today, and uh, I think folks are excited that there's going to be a little bit more transparency in the market reporting You know, there's been a lot of things that have happened in the past where people said they just wanted more information. And you've got founders like Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Roger Marshall from Kansas saying, um, you know, this is a good step forward. Um, I think Grassley had a tweet that said something like, you know, we're going to shine light on prices paid to help independent producers against the big packers. And so this is, I'm sure, going to be a big subject of discussion at Mm -hmm. the National Cattlemen's Beef Association meeting this week.
0: For sure. Uh, And meanwhile, the back and forth between the U.S. and Canada over dairy issues, that continues, doesn't it? Last week we talked with the National Milk Producers Federation and basically saying that, yeah, technically Canada's uh, living up to what they agreed to in USMCA, but they found a new way to kind of get around things. Now Canada is defending their system, so the back and forth continues.
2: It certainly does. We wrote a big story about this last week in our newsletter, and then the Canadian government approached us over the weekend with making sure we had their side of the story because they did not respond quickly with uh, our first request. But they're, I mean, technically they're right. It, it, It is a move that's in compliance with their obligations. But when you create a new class, you know, we were concerned about class seven, and now they have Mm -hmm. a class 4A, Um, you know, yeah, technically it doesn't breach the agreement, but in theory and in practice, um, you look at this, and and if it, you know, the old saying, if it walks like a duck and acts like a duck, it's probably a duck. Mm -hmm. In this case, Mm -hmm. it's a dairy.
0: Yeah, so we'll watch that. And we're also watching, uh, for the biofuels industry, I mean, it seems like, all they hear from the Biden administration is electric vehicles, electric vehicles, electric vehicles, and the the biofuels industry is trying to again make their case. That's maybe well and good down the line, but we have something right now that can take care of the, these climate goals you're trying to reach. And, and don't don't overlook us.
2: Yeah, and it seems like that message is not making a lot of headway uh, within the folks at the White House. But certainly, there's some champions on Capitol Hill that will be pushing back. And if you look at this reconciliation package, and again, just the broad outline, electric vehicles are mentioned several times and infrastructure for refueling, you know, making sure you can plug those in and having the infrastructure for electric vehicles. So there's going to have to be a lot more discussion, I think, for those folks to raise their profile even more and and try to get some additional traction.
0: Sarah, lots going on. You and your team do such a great job of covering it. We thank you for being with us. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Mike. Have a great week.
0: Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse. Communications. All right, up next, we talk weather. A lot of rain moving across the country. Some areas that uh, really need it are getting some, but is it in time? How much are people getting? How widespread? We've got a lot to talk about with DTN meteorologist John Baranik. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams, you're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away, more Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for a Round the Table brought to you by CHS as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise, We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Veronica Nye, economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation, this is uh, the downside of higher commodity prices, right? We see these input costs going up.
2: Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, you know, USDA is projecting some pretty sizable increases especially in, you know, the fertilizer and chemical side. Looking at, you know, when you combine those, about a 5% increase in 2022 compared to 2021. So, certainly not a insubstantial increase when you're thinking about the fact that fertilizers and chemicals make up, you know, nearly 50% of total operating costs for corn and beans
0: and it looks like the costs are pretty much across the board
2: they are you know you sort of look at you know the major field crops and and you're looking at somewhere around about an average two percent increase on the operating cost side for corn beans wheat cotton rice peanuts sorghum oats
0: and barley for the information important to rural america join us on adams on agriculture
3: young farmers don't listen to the radio right wrong
1: All right,
0: let's talk it over with DTM meteorologist John Baranic. And, John, we have rain to talk about. How much and how widespread over the weekend?
5: Yeah, you're, you're not kidding. It was quite a lot in some areas, but it was scattered. So uh, there were plenty of places that missed out completely or some that just got light amounts. But for the, the places that got some good rainfall, we saw that over northeast South Dakota, over a good portion of southern Minnesota, most of Wisconsin, northern Iowa, these areas that have been in uh, significant drought here over the course of the entire summer uh, had did see some really good rainfall. It wasn't everywhere, but it was for a good portion of those places. However, we didn't see it in North Dakota. Uh, portions of, of Nebraska missed out, although some didn't. Um, Southern Iowa missed out as well, so some of these other areas didn't get it. Um, we're, we're still waiting on uh, potential for another system moving through today, but right now it looks like you know there's still the haves and the have-nots going through, even through the drought areas.
0: Yeah, uh, North Dakota, as you said, missed it, but they might get some this week?
5: Yes, so today there's another system going through, and this is probably their chance here uh, out of all these systems. Uh, it's really producing some scattered showers over central uh, North Dakota right now. It'll be moving east throughout the state and into northwest Minnesota as well later tonight and overnight. Uh, it's going to be scattered, just like we've seen over the weekend. Uh, but Everybody in there has got a shot of seeing it at least an inch of rain. Um, but after that moves through, the Dakotas are going to be pretty dry here for the next week.
0: Yeah, so it may not help a lot this year, but uh, not not any too soon maybe to start on next year, although it might uh, might actually come at a time when some are trying to do uh, – uh, a little bit of uh, field work harvesting, it might slow that down, but still, the rain is needed.
5: The rain is needed, and we are still filling corn and soybeans up there, so uh, the, the rain will be helpful.
0: Eastern Corn Belt, um, that's been doing, of course, much better all along. August, always a critical time for soybeans, and uh, a lot of areas got some good rain.
5: It did. Uh, we saw some more in Missouri uh, through much of uh, central and southern Illinois. It's moving into Indiana right now, that big, giant cluster. And we even saw more over Michigan, northern Indiana, and, and a lot of Ohio as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to find an area across the eastern Corn Belt that's not having good conditions right now. And uh, with the system coming through today and others coming through uh, throughout the course of the week, we're just going to keep adding to the good uh to the good conditions overall
0: talking with dtn meteorologist john berenick well let's look at this week ahead what do you see
5: yep so we've got the one system right now that's moving kind of through the eastern corn belt that'll continue eastward through today there's that other one that we talked about moving through the dakotas right now uh and that will be continuing to move east throughout uh the week and we'll see some better showers with that as it kind of moves into uh, Iowa and Wisconsin and Illinois on Tuesday and into Wednesday. And then we've got another front coming through on Wednesday. It looks like it's probably going to be dry, though, for the Dakotas and Minnesota. Might be a little more active as it gets further south and east, like we've seen all summer long. And then the final one in the series. So uh, we'll be coming through the kind of northern areas on Thursday and then southern areas on Friday. Uh, lots of shower activity again as it moves south and east so they look like it's going to be dry across the dakotas and minnesota with those final two fronts um as it moves south and east we'll see some better rainfall chances it's still going to be scattered showers though but uh it's probably more icing on the cake for for areas uh across the south and eastern corn belt rather than you know what they need so uh really just Great conditions across the south and east, and and just terrible up in the northwest, as we've continued to see over the course of the summer.
0: Kind of more of the same, right. What about temperatures this week ahead?
5: Yeah, so temperatures, until that final front comes through, we're going to be running above normal uh, across the entire Corn Belt. So, temperatures really getting into the 90s here in the southwestern Corn Belt. Uh, A couple places in Nebraska, Kansas, uh, approaching or exceeding 100. Um, so a little bit of stress there if they if they're a little in, on the drier side, but for the for the rest of the Corn Belt, it's 80s and potentially lower 90s. So not a whole lot of heat stress going on. As that final front comes through, we'll be knocking temperatures down a good 5-10 degrees, and we'll be more likely in the uh, upper 70s across the north and the 80s across the south. We'll be seeing those temperatures kind of increasing next week though as. The ridge that, that kind of follows these systems in the west kind of starts to leak into the uh, into the plains in the, in the Midwest here early next week.
0: About a little longer range, end of August into September, what are those models showing?
5: Yeah, last week when we were talking, we were talking about the ridge developing up in, uh, in the western U.S. and kind of holding there for the rest of August. This week, uh, over the weekend and, and today, models have kind of flipped on that. They're, they're a little bit weaker with that ridge overall. Um, they'll have it kind of squashing down towards the south and spreading across the east. So we're going to see variable temperatures uh, over the course of the rest of August here if that forecast plays out. And it's also going to bring a potential trough into the uh, western U.S., which is something we haven't seen a whole lot of, we did see that here over, the, over the over the weekend, uh, we might see some more of that going into August as well. So, if that does happen, we might be talking about some additional chances of showers in the northwestern Corn Belt. Uh, models aren't keen on that, really. Um, they'll, they'll bring the trough in, but they're not really keen on on bringing rainfall chances along with it. We'll see if that stays the case, but. Uh, at least there's there's a little bit of an open door and a little bit of hope for those northwestern areas to still see some rainfall here for the rest of the month.
0: All right, let's look elsewhere. What about South America?
5: South America has another system moving through it right now. Uh, Some good showers uh, fell across some of the areas in Argentina on Sunday. and It's going to be moving its way northward into southern Brazil here over the next couple of days. That front to the system kind of stalls Uh, over the state of Paraná, which really needs the rainfall, so it'll be good to see them get uh, at least a little bit of of better rainfall. But the temperatures behind it are the big story. We're going to have temperatures falling yet again uh, below freezing for much of Argentina and portions of southern Brazil. A lot of that corn's already mature down there, so it's not going to have a whole lot of impact on that. It might, though, for those winter wheat areas, especially for some of those that are a little bit more advanced, getting closer to the flowering stage.
0: They've uh, South America's had their share of weather issues, haven't they?
5: They have. They've had drought throughout their entire uh, Safrina corn season. Um, it really, right after they got done planting, it basically the spigots turned off, uh, and they've been dealing with drought the entire season. And ever since the the end of June and the first couple days of July, they've been having repeated cold fronts come through with frosts. So they've had three rounds of frost already in southern Brazil and have really taken a toll on their corn crop. Um, this one here, since it's coming later, I think uh, about 40% of their corn is already harvested. So it's not going to affect the corn so much, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's into wheat now.
0: And finally, back here, uh, John, we've talked a lot about how we've kind of had this weather pattern just kind of stuck for, for most of the summer. Do you see any big changes or breaks coming in our in our weather pattern?
5: Uh, not in the short term. I, mean, I did talk about how there's the potential here where we may get that western ridge to really kind of break down a little bit, a little, be a little more squishy than strong, um, but uh, not in the short term. What we're seeing in the long term, though, is uh, a return to the La Nina pattern uh we've already kind of gotten that far in the atmosphere uh but the really we haven't seen it quite so well in the surface temperatures on the water in the uh in the middle pacific ocean that all kind of happened over the course of the next month maybe two um for getting temperatures back down into the la nina category and we're talking about la nina again throughout the winter just like we saw last winter so that happens kind of frequently when we see one La Nina, it kind of abates during the summer of the following year, and then returns for the fall and winter of, of the, the following year. So it looks like that's going to be the case going forward. Uh, that's probably going to lead us to some drier conditions across much of the Corn Belt, except for the eastern Corn Belt. They usually do better under, under a La Nina scenario, and we'll probably see some variable temperatures more likely. Uh, more likely cold across the the northern plains and into the Midwest.
0: All right, John, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you.
5: Thank you, Mike. Have a good week.
0: Take care. John Baranek, DTN meteorologist. It is Crop Report Week, and even though it won't tell us the the whole story, we start getting an idea of where USDA is going and what they're thinking as far as uh, setting up a big September report. And, of course, we'll talk more about these rains and crop conditions, all that with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
6: Progressive Farmer knows unique content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Moth, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture. The policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA
7: you're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network I'm Jesse Allen with this market update well as we take a look at the grain sector soybeans are trading higher with corn and wheat under a little bit of pressure here so far this morning and grains are mostly moving higher after the open despite weekend rains and concerns about coronavirus related travel restrictions in Asia USDA announced 3.8 million bushels of new crop soybeans sold to unknown destinations Here this morning, many of which uh, people are thinking that is China. Now, last week's forecast models called for widespread coverage of soaking rains for Iowa over the weekend, although they dramatically reduced coverage on Friday. That proved to be closer to reality in the end. Some good rains fell in Iowa over the weekend, but the majority of the state missed out on the good rains with little rain in the outlook over the coming week. Rainfall exceeded expected coverage in portions of South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas over the weekend, while also coming in heavy as expected over Wisconsin. Northern Illinois missed out on forecast rain. Now the focus today will be on this afternoon's crop ratings along with a steady flow of private production estimates ahead of Thursday's highly anticipated WASD crop report. USDA is expected to shave some yield off both its corn and soybean production estimates on Thursday, but that's largely already been priced into the market. September quarter down four and three quarters, right now 550 at a quarter. December down three and a half, 553. August soybeans up 16 and a half, 1438 and three quarters. November up three and three quarters, 1340 and a half. August bean meal up 590 a ton, 364.70. August bean oil down 11.63.30. Minneapolis spring wheat, September up two and three quarters, 919. September KC wheat down a half penny, 705 and a quarter. September Chicago wheat down five, that's 714. Lower action in cattle and hogs. August hogs down 65, 108, 10. August live cattle down 10, 122, 90. August feeder cattle down 67, 159, 17. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
1: 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right?
4: Not right. Starting to save even in your 50s can really make a difference.
1: Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's
4: been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes.
1: I like three minutes.
4: Yeah, at aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
0: I like that too.
4: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from
1: around the world information america's farmers and ranchers need to know on aoa now back to mike adams all right let's talk
0: it over with matt bennett with agmarket.net and uh, matt we talk rains here we have august rains now and for those of us in central illinois this is our year isn't it
8: yeah i'll tell you what we uh, we just haven't hurt much for moisture throughout most of the growing season i hate to say that because i know there's people listening to this that probably like to give me a knuckle sandwich but uh, bottom line is is that you know we, we just really haven't ever heard now early in the year of course we had some cold weather right out of the gate i think that that probably uh, has the tendency to maybe impact yields a little bit but i feel pretty confident that the corn crop's uh, going to be a really good one maybe best ever for a lot of folks in this part of the world and at this stage of the game, I think the soybean crop is going to be awfully good. I don't know about best ever on soybeans. I don't know that we got quite the growth we've had the last couple of years,
0: but it's uh, certainly going to be a really good bean crop. Yeah, these rains uh, this weekend have certainly helped that. Eastern Corn Belt looking good. Uh, Western Corn Belt still struggling, even though some places got some rain. But uh, it in some areas, it won't help that much this year. Other areas, maybe it will make a difference yet.
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is that um, uh, there's parts of Western Corn Belt that I think have been hurt bad enough It's going to be really tough to, you know, to get, uh, you know, one rain's not going to fix anything or even two rains. Um, The bottom line for a lot of those folks is that they went too long without rain, and so I think that your maximum yield potential is going to be a little bit less than desired. But uh, I feel like a rain like this, whenever you're sitting here, uh you know on august the ninth, boy it's tough to think that it's not adding bushels especially to the bean crop i think certainly test weight on corn uh you know and in this part of the world on the early part of uh planted corn you know you're probably not adding a ton of bushels but you're certainly cementing what would be a a really good finish to the crop so i feel pretty good uh, about yields now as far as thursday concerned i I still feel like the USDA is probably going to have to drop back just a little bit on on corn yield. I don't think they'll touch bean yields. I just don't think they have got enough information just yet. So might be a little bit of a surprise for some folks, but I really don't expect them to do much on beans.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's it's still too early on this report, but yet it may give us an indication which way they're they're leaning, what they may be willing to to acknowledge, maybe.
8: Right. No doubt. And I think, you know, as of August 1st, as you suggest, it's probably a little early for them to be able to make a good judgment call there uh, on beans. But, uh, you know, for corn, uh, certainly uh, not in the field this month. And people need to remember, you know, we made that change a couple of years ago. Uh, So basically what you're relying on is uh, satellite imagery, uh, you know, of course, producer surveys. Uh, but bottom line, uh, you know, people ask, well, are crop conditions going to factor into this, and I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case. You can kind of look for crop conditions, give you an idea of how we stack up versus earlier in the year or versus a year ago, uh, but for the most part, I don't want to put too much stock there. Uh, I still feel like uh, there's enough good out there that it's offsetting the really tough parts of the Corn Belt, you know, and I think that uh, it would be tough to assume the USDA would raise yield. Now, just keep in mind, the last couple, three August, they've come out of the gate pretty hot. Last year, we are over 181 bushel yield, and we ended up at around 170, a little under 173. And so they missed it by a wide, wide margin a year ago. And I think that they're going to try to you know, maybe be a little more cautious in making such a big uh, yield estimate out of the gate this year.
0: Speaking of missing things, a year ago, everything started to change, and no one really saw it coming. Uh, What are your thoughts on this past year?
8: Well, the past year, you know, certainly this time of year, a couple, three things happened that were really substantial. Uh, Obviously, the ratio event uh, happened in the middle of August. A lot of folks that were playing on a big crop in Iowa, unfortunately, uh, didn't get it because of something that was completely out of their control. Obviously, we didn't finish well in parts of the Corn Belt, uh, in that we were pretty dry. You look at what happened with the Chinese stepping in and buying commodities in a robust fashion. And then the last thing was, uh, you know, some serious weather issues in the Black Sea region. Uh, you know, I guess I'd say the last thing, but you, whenever you look at the Brazil crop going in the ground a little bit late on soybeans, it, we knew the be- the corn crop was going to go in the ground a little late. A lot of things happened. So, Mike, we got to be careful to assume all those things could fall into place like they did this past year, you know as a producer you know or am i going to scoff at 550 corn going into harvest thinking that we're going to get another three dollar rally this year i'm not saying it can't happen but bottom line is every year is different and we have to be really careful to make too many assumptions here
0: of course a lot of those things are continuing there are still weather issues around the world including south america and china is still buying pretty good uh but so you know Whether it changes things a whole lot price-wise because we're already at these levels, that remains to be seen, but uh, it would seem like it's not poised to just drop off the cliff either.
8: Right, and a lot of times that's what you see whenever you ensure that you've got a good crop. Boy, we just drop like gangbusters, but I'm not sure that's the case this year. I don't want to talk super bullish here, but Mike, I feel pretty confident that a producer putting corn in the bin is going to have some opportunities later on. I feel pretty strongly Chinese are going to be in buying a fair amount of corn again this year, uh, probably in excess of what some of the quote-unquote experts are predicting at this time. Uh, La Nina's in place again for the second year in a row. Uh, Talking to uh, my good friend uh, uh, Eric Snodgrass, he he thinks that some of the same tendencies could happen in the the southern hemisphere this year, so we have to keep a close eye on when those beans go in the ground again this year. He has certainly had a huge impact this last year, but I think we're going to have some uh, support. Maybe not strength, but definitely support under these markets for the time being.
0: Talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So am I hearing you say storage is a good uh, strategy?
8: I think uh, where agmarket.net is, just to be totally transparent, we're at 60% of expected production on corn and 50 on beans. Uh, but we feel like that last 40% we can uh, wait quite a while on. Uh, I think storage is going to pay some dividends, especially for a producer that's willing to be a little bit patient, Uh, but at the same time, it's pretty tough to argue with a producer who wants to sell 553D's corn uh, whenever they're harvesting uh, in my part of the world and your part of the world, I would say yields that are good enough to probably post some record uh, net profits.
0: What do you see happening with wheat, because it's such a global situation where We've gone from being a wash in wheat to things a lot tighter and some production challenges here in the U.S. as well. Where do you see this wheat market going?
8: Yeah, I think your world wheat ledger is going to certainly be dropped down. Uh, a couple things that you got to remember is that we fed a lot of cheap feed wheat over the last year. Uh, we're not going to have as much of a, I guess, an abundance of supply as what we did a year ago. Now, wheat has always been something that you have... Uh, much bigger stocks use ratio, sometimes up to fifty percent a couple of years ago. Uh, you're not going to see that though this year. And so, uh, for me, whenever you look at, for instance, the spring wheat crop, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a bust. I mean, they they definitely didn't have the kind of weather that they were wanting. to See, uh, and at the same time, I think that you're going to be looking at the entire wheat complex is going to have some strength. Uh, but you all, ha- yeah, you have to look at where prices are currently. So spring wheat, of course, is still posting a nine on your front month. Uh, you've got sevens uh, all across the board as far as your Kansas City and your Chicago wheat. So um, you've got to be really cautious as to think that this thing is going to skyrocket. But I really do like uh, some support under these wheat prices for the time being because uh, we definitely uh, put ourselves in a situation that's much tighter than what we've been accustomed to here the last few years. And I think wheat's going to be staking its claim to a
0: fair amount of acres, which is a very important discussion coming up this next year. There'll be some very interesting acres discussions uh, coming up. Uh, when you talk with farmers, what's been their approach on marketing? Cautious, uh, aggressive? What would you would how would you describe it?
8: I think farmers have marketed more going into this year, especially in our part of the world. Uh, they've been very fortunate to actually get the rain and. Uh, see the market hold together. Now, uh, for those that haven't had that opportunity, I sure uh, feel for those producers. But what that's done for a lot of producers in our part of the world and from originators I've talked to is this allowed the producer to be a little more aggressive on sales, feel really good about it because their profit margins were going to be pretty strong. Uh, I think the last few years, they've been pretty laggard uh, as far as making sales going into harvest. But this year, there's going to be a fair amount that's going to be already sold going into harvest. And I think they're going to try to get this pipeline at least uh, primed really good. I mean, there's a lot of folks that are running extremely short on supplies. And so I think that's going to be a good thing for us basis-wise at the start of harvest. It's probably going to last at least for a couple of weeks. But I think once you get uh, the pump primed, so to speak, uh, you'll probably be looking at those basis levels back off a fair amount.
0: I was going to ask you about basis levels. Uh, Your thoughts on that. There could be some uh, uh, wide ranges there across the country.
8: Yeah, I think two things. I mean, I think uh, if you're the first person cutting soybeans in your general vicinity, you're going to hopefully have, uh, uh, you know, your basis not set, if you will. I know a lot of folks did some HTAs on soybeans. I have no issue with something like that. Uh, and so I think beans will be real dynamic at the start because, uh, quite frankly, we don't have hardly any beans. Crush margins look good once the new crop beans show up. As far as corns concerned, uh, again, uh, anybody who's close to a couple of your rail lines uh, – uh, and some of your export markets, uh, of course, on the river. You know, some of those basis levels have been pretty good, but then some of the po- uh, the non-post levels, if you will, the pushes uh, have been pretty robust. And I think that your early folks definitely going to be rewarded. Uh, be very cautious as to uh, you know, if I'm picking corn early, I'm probably going to be looking for a really good deal on basis instead of delivering my uh, fall delivery contracts first. Mm-hmm
0: all right matt thanks a lot it'll be interesting to see uh, the report this thursday and we'll have some interesting conversations uh, around farm progress show time at the end of the month absolutely look forward to seeing you guys there take care matt bennett with agmarket.net all right so as uh, these big spending bills make their way through uh, congress how about paying for them a lot of the pay-fors have uh, You know, what's been talked about, changes in estate taxes, stepped-up bases, transfer taxes, all these things. We're going to kind of sort through some of that with Chad Hansen with Corporate Farmer, Inc. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
4: Vision loss
7: Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient
0: and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Michael Langmire Purdue Ag Economist, want to get the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Kind of give us an overview.
8: Producers are obviously very concerned about input prices. We asked a very general question about whether they expected the prices paid index would include all the inputs used in production agriculture, both for crop and livestock producers. And historically, that average has only increased about 2% for the last 10 years. Only 20% of those surveyed think that in the Next year, it's going to be less than 2%. So that means 80% of the producers think that we're going to see considerable uh, input price inflation compared to what we've seen in the last 10 years. And and it's not just cash rent, fertilizer in particular, but there's other input prices also that they're very concerned about. And so I, I think the combination of those two things is creating a situation where the index is lower than certainly what it was in the
0: spring of this year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
4: When you're living with low vision, life can be a challenge. If you're 55 or older and your world has gotten smaller because of vision loss, it's time to be bold. Go to -to timetobebold.org for a list of services in your state that will give you the tools, technology, training, and support you need to live your bold, best life. Help is here. Join others who found a bright, bold future. Go to -to timetobebold.org today.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, there are a lot of spending proposals in Washington, D.C., infrastructure and... uh, reconciliation bills things like that but there are also a lot of proposals about how to pay for them including some proposed tax changes that has a concern of agriculture when it comes to stepped up bases estate taxes transfer taxes uh let's talk about it now with chad hansen with corporate farmer inc out of uh, mason city iowa chad good to talk with you welcome to aoa which of these uh, proposed tax changes are you most watching
9: Well, I mean, I'd love to pinpoint one and say that's where uh, I've had the most questions, but honestly, uh, you know, I think it depends on where some of these hit home. Um, First and foremost, I think a lot of the discussion started around some of the estate um, tax issues uh, just because of the sheer numbers and the effects on, you know, farmers, uh, you know, as they started talking maybe a little bit around the coffee shop. About uh, you know what that could do to a family farm, and how difficult it might be for them to kind of try and transition the operation to the next generation.
0: Now, yeah, the wording is so uh, is so critical in this. Uh, while a politician administration come out and say, no direct taxes, but there are <laughs> ways to have indirect taxes, right?
9: Yeah, and and I think, you know, from a practitioner standpoint, you know, there's some concerns that that, that there's a a way that things have been done for a number of years that we've kind of gotten accustomed to, and uh, so many plans have been kind of predicated around discounting and uh, some of those uh, types of planning strategies where you know the the proposals you know and we go back to the green book because that's kind of the uh... i guess game plan when we look at you know what may or may not come out of this whole um... legislative session this year is uh... you know that that what we'd be talking about is getting rid of some of these minority discounts um... you know like like you talked about kind of the the family farm um... or other business uh uh, taxes that would be assessed at death and, and whether that would be eliminated or at least, uh, maybe, um, helped out if it was kept, uh, within the family for the next generation.
0: Yeah. They, they talked a lot about that. Well, as long as you don't sell the farm, you're okay. <laughs> but, uh, at some point you may want to, or need to. Uh,
9: well, and we have a lot of, you know, situations where there's family members that are involved, but most of the time, the highest percentage of, uh, Heirs are not involved in the operation, and how might that work? Does that mean that they need to participate in some fashion in order to to participate also in the deferral of the taxes and and so I think that kind of complicates a lot of these plans that uh, have been in place where maybe uh you know we we protect that farming heir by you know setting up some long term leases that that protect their interest even though they may not take possession of the farm assets they they have the opportunity to continue to farm um... those acres uh... even even um... for maybe ten twenty years to come and um... you know th- those types of uh... situations may have to change to a maybe a crop share or um... maybe even um... fully participating by some of the uh... other members who quite honestly might not even live in the area any longer so What's that gonna look like? How is it gonna be um enforced and And you know all these questions um I think have just led to so much uncertainty, whether it's on the estate side or you know the talk of the ten thirty one repeal has gotten mm-hmm. um uh, a a lot of conversation as well as uh people have maybe some farms or other business property that they've uh thought at some point in time they might want to liquidate and roll into something else. Uh, It's definitely sped up those conversations and I've had several phone calls with uh, people here lately as they've started to kind of you know think about trying to make some of that happen here before the end of 2021.
0: That is interesting. That's what I was going to ask you. Are you seeing people trying to get ahead of this?
9: For sure and uh, you know whether that's uh, you know utilizing some of the gifting. I've had some of those phone calls, uh, you know, with some older farmers that say, you know, we've already done some significant uh, gifts to kind of avoid uh, estate taxes and and should we use up the rest of our exemption. Also, you know, just here recently dealing with the death of a farmer and, uh, you know, the kids are talking about what makes sense now that mom's still here. We want to make sure that she has uh, enough to be taken care of and and to live the way she wants, but what if these laws change? Uh, Should we speed up this process, and what does that look like? And I think, uh, you know, there's just a lot of anxiety. You know, we've got all these questions with what's going to happen with input costs, what's cash rent going to be next year, am I going to get a crop in some areas with this drought, and then you throw on top of that all of these tax provisions that, uh, you know, could affect my business, and, I can tell you that, uh, there's some nervousness out there and, uh, you know, not, not in a good way. I think as, uh, these farmers are dealing with, uh, so many kind of what if scenarios.
0: So there are some things you can do. It's hard to, when you don't know exactly what they're going <laughs> to do, or what changes are going to make, it makes it difficult, but there are some things maybe you can kind of get in motion now to help uh, protect yourself.
9: I think so. And I think there's plenty of practitioners I talk to that think, uh, you know these are worst case scenarios in most of our minds maybe this uh, is kind of pie in the sky and when the rubber meets the road what's actually going to happen because you know let's face it you know there's a new regime in town and, and they want to get done what they uh, have promised but in reality they don't want to expend too much political capital and uh, we have some elections coming up here in the midterms uh, another year from now and You know, the more they have to fight to get this done, um, how does that affect the likelihood that they get some of, um, you know, their people reelected or, or, you know, fill some some of these uh, voids that they need in order to have a little bit uh, more numbers when it comes to passing some of these uh, gigantic bills. And so, you know, I I think that that's the bottom line at the end of the day is is, kind of wait and see and watch um, and be prepared for what could
0: happen. All right, Chad, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us.
9: You too. Thanks a lot.
0: Chad Hansen with Corporate Farmer, Inc. That wraps it up for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.